0: Welcome to Give and Take. It's the podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with artists, authors, theologians, political pundits, media people, and assorted others about the lens through which they experience life. My guest is Yang Huang. Yang grew up in China's Jiangsu province and participated in the 1989 Student Uprising. Her debut novel, Living Treasures. Her debut novel, Living Treasures, won the Nautilus Book Award Silver Medal in Fiction. And her essays and short stories have appeared in numerous publications. Her most recent book is a collection of short stories called My Old Faithful. Evoking both the drama of familial intimacy and the ups and downs of the everyday, My Old Faithful introduces readers to a close-knit Chinese family. These 10 interconnected short stories, which take place in China and the United States over a 30-year period, merge to paint a nuanced portrait of family life with pain, Surprises and subtle acts of courage. We had a great conversation about the book. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I give you Yang Huang. Yang, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Scott. Um, thank you for having me. I'm really excited.
0: It's a pleasure. And you've written a great collection of essays. My Old Faithful. This is such an interesting. It's almost like um, like Game of Thrones is kind of written from point of view perspective. You know, like of these <laughs> countries. And so it's like a Game of Thrones ish, but with, with Less blood and violence, <laughs> but but no, it's got this great like point of view perspective. The essays chart one family, uh, you know, and their story kind of across you know time and across locations. Um, and you see the family from like all these different perspectives. I mean, was that uh, was that the original t- intention when you, when you wrote the book?
1: Yes, I do want to write about defining moments of each family member's. That's why. The collection comes out in different perspectives. Um, I, you know, it's on the surface, it is happy and supportive family, but underneath, their secret strivings, jealousy, pain, and as well as a joy and um, the distance that separate family, bind a separate family across the time and space. So I haven't watched Game of Thrones uh, myself, but my husband loves it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, am thinking about the daily drama in a person's um, growth. And basically, this family is raising adolescent children. There are a lot of issues that are universal cross culture and, and human race kind of remains the same, uh, throughout history. People don't change very much. So now my, Children are teenagers. I found that those um, experience a helpful reminder that every generation has to find their way as you um, go through those painful growth period.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you coming of age though. It's interesting because you grew up in China and your kids grew up here. I'm assuming, right? Yes,
1: they were born in Berkeley.
0: Yeah, so I, you know, it's interesting because there there are several. Points where the father is thinking about you know early. I'm thinking some of the early essays where the fathers were really burdened by his child's behavior. I'm sure every parent is burdened by their child's behavior, but is it different? I mean, what's what what do you see different growing up in China? Like, how is your adolescent experience different than your own children's?
1: In China, um, you know, children are a person's. Raising children, a person's ultimate responsibility and crowning achievement, so if your son's not behaving um in in a good way and it's, it's the responsibility falls on the father. there's a saying that if if the son is not outstanding, then father is to blame, so he takes it upon himself to mold this young person into an image that he wants him to be, which is a tremendous burden (laughs) when you think about it. Um, Here, children, they're taught to be their own people uh, since a very young age, which Chinese children were not, you know, um, they they are almost like extension of the parents, but they're supposed to be uh, more successful and prosperous. They lead a more a better life. That's expected. So it is a tremendous burden on the children when you grow up in China, both for the parents and for the children.
0: One of the things interesting in a lot of the essays, yeah, you know, this is the family, again, there's three children, right? There's two daughters and a, and a middle son, right? Uh, and it, this looms behind the story of the, the, the one child rule. Yes. And, and yet this is a family of three, Right. And 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 in in the story right the the at the time the son, I think is born the one child rule has just come into existence. Yes. And they have the child anyway. How does that work? I mean was how do are there penalties or I mean how do cuz they they they're very proud of the fact that they've had these children. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, one child policy um was originally designed to be like one generation policy. It was enforced at provincial level and enforcement varied some provinces had relaxed um had more relaxed restrictions but it has been chinese consciousness since early 70s even though it was uh, enforced in early 80s initially it started as um spacing out your children they need to be at least 3 years apart if so even though it's called one child policy it was not literally one child policy um Initially, it was like uh, two um, children need to be at least three years apart or the second child will not get food ration or residence card for a number of years. Even when um, it was enforced, there were a lot of exceptions that you can make. Um, If the firstborn is a daughter, for example, it's possible you can request for exception to have a second child. Or when the first child has um, mental intellectual disability, the couple is allowed to have a second child. Um, but the financial penalty was put into place very early on in the early 70s. By early um, 80s, the person, especially a mother, um, if you are a government employee, you will lose your job. And it became it gradually became very uh, stringent. For example, some children will not get the residence card period. They just become illegal people in the country to this day. They cannot have school. They don't have health care. Effectively, they have no social life because they're shut out um, at home. They're they're left to fend for themselves to this day. And in some provinces, Sichuan provinces, there are a lot of um, cruelty. There's forced... um, sterilization and- ab- abortion and women were forced to put i u d in place after the first child in the in the eighties and some women are subject to um sterilization. there were just long lasting impact on every Chinese family you know Chinese family has gone through a period of historical suffering like cultural revolution greatly forward, but these have been all but erase from collective memory. But when child policy may endure far longer because it is a policy has been written in the lives and absences of nearly every Chinese family.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. As I read these essays, you, you do I, I, I do have the sense that, yeah, that, that human nature is, is the same. I mean, we have you know, love, betrayal, hope, you know, coming of age. I mean, these things are, are, are in all cultures. And, and yet China does seem i mean it is a distinctive kind of cultural experience i'm wondering what what do you think the average American doesn't know like what are the things that are important to contextualize what contemporary what chinese life is like uh you know in in a in a state that's not a liberal democracy that's got its own cultural kind of framework i mean what do you think Americans you know what stereotypes do we have that aren't true what things do we do we do we not know that really Makes us ignorant as we kind of read about you know China in the news and or we pick up you know a, a piece of literature about China.
1: Um, I, I like to mention this is a collection of stories, natural stories, not essays. So um, it is fiction. When I first wrote this, and a professor just commented on how rude those people seem and how cruel and insensitive the parents seemed. I, and I thought, really, this seemed perfectly normal to me, <laughs> so I guess in China um parents they don't pretend to be fair they um the you know raising children is such it's they're so passionate about putting their children in the give them the best environment possible and give them best upbringing, but in the end they it's very hands on very um autocratic on um, parenting, <laughs> and they don't pretend there's no political correctness they it's almost like a primal instinct for the parents. I think that is uh, different here um you try to treat um for example son and daughters equally, and at least you tell them um, you tell yourself that you are fair to every child, which uh, I doubt every parent could be. <laughs> so I guess these people, in a way, are m- more honest. Um, but also they came across as being uh, rather cruel and just <laughs> they're doing their best. They give 100% and, and sometimes to the detriment of uh, the children. And they, pro- they probably need to let the children discover themselves, which Chinese parents find very difficult to do. So think of it it's like um, probably in the fifties, um, American parents, probably more like Chinese parents. <laughs> They're more old-fashioned.
0: <laughs> yeah, the first story is is about the for the namesake, my old faithful. I mean, the first and last actually. But there's this this dog, right? The boy, this boy has this dog yellow that he loves this golden here, and it it it's stolen and, and and it's interesting because they're like well it's probably just thieves stole it to cook it and eat it and i mean i i was just you know i'm a dog lover i was i was crushed <laughs> reading the story like i was so like and he, he goes through all these machinations and efforts he winds up stealing a plant to try to get you know Sell it to him so she can grow plants and all these, you know, so that he can get a figurine made of his dog. I mean, it's just this, that was a heart-wrenching story. I mean, why do you begin with that one?
1: <laughs> because this story signals the end of his childhood effectively, and he begins to see the uh, cruelty of life. <laughs> um, I guess there's something that I noticed. Um, Chinese children are very resilient Despite what the parents do to them, you know, because um, sometimes they think even though they don't like what the parents do to them, they see the intention behind it. For example, when he gets spanked, he knows um, the father really wants to uh, make him a, a, a good person that, you know, uh, in the society. So it makes his um, life easier for his when he's a g- adult so the um for example, when they don't like what parents do, they don't go to therapists they uh, try to <laughs> suck it up and uh, try to internalize and uh, and they still trust their parents in a way probably American um, children don't trust their parents so I think that is make Chinese children a a little bit more powerless in a way. Um, they live in the parents' shadow, but uh, also um, prepare them for a society that's going to be even harsher than their own family. So kind of inoculate them against future point- disappointments. They don't
0: expect life to be fair all the time.
1: <laughs> no, they know life is unfair, And um, they were taught and get used to that from an early age. But this also joy in finding your resources you know like no you can't do this even though losing your dog is a very um heartbreaking experience yeah and parents don't hide the fact from him that the dog was um probably eaten (laughs) there's no santa claus in (laughs) you know the children don't have illusions about life since a very early age yeah so they're kind of like a rural um Children grew up on the rural farms in America. They um, they exposed to the real life, the, the hard, harsh uh, reality. And,
0: you know, it's interesting because you, all the children, you know, you you talk about their own coming of age and their own sexual awareness. Uh, you know, and, and their and, and a sense of their mm-hmm. own sexuality. I wonder, you know, everybody today, I think it's a pretty common perspective that American. Culture is hypersexualized, right? And our kids are hypersexualized, and kids are getting more sexual earlier in life. I mean, what is sexuality? How? What is like the public perception of sexuality, or in China, like? I mean, is our kids as sexualized growing up in China? Is that is it? Is it less uh, kind of in your face? uh, You know, is it similar to here or?
1: It is not um it is different. So I guess um what, for teenagers it's very normal to have adoration for for attractive people, uh, male or female, for example, that the daughter has adores her high jumper coach. And this is really uh this is accepted and people will not read too much into it. Just um people, you know, a young person's longing and adoration for beauty and, you know, that kind of thing. Um in terms of sexual identity, each person discovers in their own pace, you know, in their own way. But uh China, you know, it's very much for a monogamous relationship. And I think the sexual relationship is always um I think a prelude to a committed monogamous monogamous relationship. It's not Condone for you know, sexual exploration and not strictly as an individual expression um, because Chinese um, people are expected to you know, raise a family. It's just everything has a purpose. Otherwise, it's just self indulgent and, and, and almost silly, a waste of time. But I guess it is uh, accepted and tolerated. It's just not encouraged. And if you keep it from your parents, you're fine. <laughs> and uh homosexuality is not frowned upon in China. Um, Only that the fact that you're not having children, it, it is a sin, you know. It's, so if you manage to have children, then it will be okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so as long as you have heterosexual sex enough times to reproduce, you could, you, you know, whatever whatever else you do will be okay. <laughs> right.
1: Yes, yes, so having children is um a person's uh, responsibility to your ancestors to your family. that is the an obligation and everybody is subject to um to that so if you you're homosexual then as long as you have children and raise good children, then you are forgiven. I know people come i know famous re- um media personality and he is closet gay, um, then he managed to um, have surrogate mother because uh, that was not allowed in China. So he managed to find surrogate mother in United States and make sure that women, you know, at least has a college uh, in college and very good looking and white, you know, because they like you know, <laughs> cute. Cute kids, uh, mixed race kids are beautiful. So, they, he, so he had a twins by this young mother. And that's considered um, achievement, you know, being very resourceful. <laughs> <laughs> he's a success story of uh, a <laughs> very capable, uh, yeah, gay person. And he really does his ancest- ancestors proud by doing that. So I guess Chinese people are, um, yeah, they're very relaxed as long as they have children <laughs> and make sure you carry on the family name. <laughs> uh,
0: I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning after your evening routine or while you're exercising or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart. Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Kress, Stephen Rowe, Ben Dehart, Michael Butera, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Andrew Stravitz, and Jennifer Underwood. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening and now back to the show. <gasps> you know, it's interesting you, you in this story, the story the father has at one point, is reflecting on the cultural evolution experience, right? Being t- taken out and and working with peasants, and I mean, he had some. I mean, he tells some pretty traumatic stories. Um, yes. You were involved in the Tiananmen Square protests, right? Yes. I mean, that was that must have been incredible. I mean, I I still remember the the guy standing in front of the tank. Like I remember the first time I saw that. I, I mean, it. Mm-hmm. it when you were involved in those protests and that movement, were, were you hopeful that it would lead to democratization in China? You know, did you think that was a, a real possibility?
1: Oh yes, because I marched with millions of people—not just students, but teachers and wo- workers and people from all walks of life. So for a short while, there seemed to be a real possibility that political reform and democracy could come to China, but our hope was dashed by Tiananmen Square Massacre. You know, then came the conspiracy theory that students were used by the senior officials for the political gains. Those leaders were subsequently ousted, and to this day, the protests and massacre were censored behind the great firewall of China and pretty much erased from the collective memory. And uh, we view our lives, um, it really defines us as generation. We view our lives through those lenses. So today, a similar conspiracy theory was used to discredit the March for Our Lives activists. But we know it is a lie. Yeah, I came to U.S. shortly after the crackdown. Um, I had no desire of going back if I could help it.
0: And was it, how did you emigrate and get here i mean is it i mean i would guess that wasn't easy
1: no i came here as an engineering student because there was a lot of sympathy for um young intellectuals at the time i came here to study computer engineering and i was able to find a job and the my employer sponsored me for the green card it was a long process and it it was hard but I I wa- decided that I want to live a country that will not do this to their people, and if I could not find a job, uh, my only other option would be to go to grad school <laughs> and stay legal, <laughs> or get married. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, so I was only able to pursue writing after I had my green card. I feel like okay, I'm not going back to China and it would be safe for me to write. Otherwise, um, I don't, yeah, my voice will be silenced. You, you you, will not be, I really do not have the luxury to, um, to, to write. And it's <laughs> too many political landmines for someone who want to tell stories.
0: But you had those desires to do it. It's just, you thought, hey, like I, I love literature, but I mean, I just can't do it here.
1: I cannot do it in China, right? My parents uh, lived through the Cultural Revolution. So they saw firsthand that finest writers in China were persecuted, and secondary writers were bought off by the state. There's just not a lot of reason to to devote your life to that. Um, And I grew up during a period of economic and political reforms in China. So my father tried to infuse me with the belief that it's sexy for a girl to be a scientist because no political movement can touch you.
0: Right. Science is, is esteemed by the state, right? I mean, you're kind of <laughs> like, And it's interesting because China, it seems right now to have this strange combination of it's autocratic, and yet it's also very into market capitalism.
1: Yes, it's more capital. It's a capitalist country, but they still call themselves um, socialism with Chinese characteristics. Um, it's it's a very cruel society, you know. Um, the anything goes, and part of it is because the failed um, Tiananmen Square uh, protest. Um, the government tried to entice. The people, and by giving them a lot of um incentive to just to develop the country and fo- focus on you know co- accumulating material wealth so people can forget and not n- not waste their energy on uh, clamoring for political reforms, it has worked to a certain extent, but they are still grassroots activists. Are doing the important and dangerous work on all fronts, from environmental protection to human rights activists. China is a very vast country, and people are, you know, everybody's working very hard <laughs> to um, find the future in this in this very uh, strange and very materialist society, and want to give their children the Best shot at making it. <laughs> yeah,
0: you have this story, right? the birthday girls, where you you this one of the daughters has a birthday and and she wants Nike mm-hmm. shoes and her mom and they're it, this exuberant amount of money and her mom wants to get her this traditional pendant of this goddess or this, uh, with a very interesting story a male male god that comes from India then becomes a female goddess and she, it's just a fascinating image of this goddess and. And, you know, it, it, you do have this, like, you see this, you see the daughter already, like her, the thing she, all she can think of for the birthday is Nike shoes, right? Is that part of the, the plan, right? That you get people in mm-hmm. pursuit of these iconic consumer goods?
1: Yeah. Nike was that a symbol um, when the flooded the Chinese market, high-end Chinese market in the eighties. And along with this um, Western philosophy and Western literature and, you know, and Western consumerism, those are the things that attract the teenagers like Lian, who eventually immigrates to the US. But this is the average family with a limited means. So it really doesn't make sense to spend mother's salary on a pair of shoes that she will outgrow in six months. So from a logical standpoint, she cannot contest common sense. In this sense, the point of contention is more between like traditions, folklore, even superstition versus rational thinking, Western values and consumerism included. So mother's success in luring her daughter, um, born on the year of dragon on Guanyin's birthday, is to understand the cultural support for women in patriarchal society and just to equip her with more resources. So she's basically saying, um, be the feminist that you are, but also use the support from your mother, aunties, village woman, even the goddess Mercy. You know, we are here
0: for you. Yeah, I, I mean, what what is feminist consciousness like in China? I mean, is how I mean, are how does feminist thought, you know, in women's kind, how does that stuff disseminate? I mean, I'm sure that, and again, it, it, you've got to state that carefully censors information. I is feminism seen as a threat to the sort of party and political establishment?
1: Yeah, interestingly enough, um, the Cultural Revolution actually is a high point for feminism because uh, Chairman Mao, despite all... You know, the atrocity of the Cultural Revolution. He said women hold up half the sky. So, from that point on, women treated that um, they have the same potential, uh, theoretically, <laughs> as men to excel in science, um, in any professions, but in practice, they're still held back because it's still very much a patriarchal society. So even though in medical school, there may be more female um, doctors, you know, doctors, doctor in training, the hospitals kind of do not want to hire them because they will have maternity leaves. So they still go for the male graduates. They all pumped up to believe that they can do, you know, whatever they want. But, In reality, um, the society will take them down a notch once they graduate from universities. But but everything's changing very quickly uh, because of one-child policy. Um, A lot of girls were lost uh, over the years, uh, either by Mm. abortion, because they can use ultrasound to determine if it's a girl. They will abort the girl, uh, the sex selection. And some girls were kidnapped, and this infant side... So the male to female ratio is very skewed in China. Um for every 100 girls, 120 boys. The f- the status of female has risen in the recent years. And parents almost prefer to have a girl because um you don't have to provide for her and you don't have to provide like housing for example cuz um Her husband supposed to come up with all the material resources, so it's a lot less burden on the girl's parents. This status has risen um, as a result. It's it's really complicated in every aspect in Chinese society because (laughs) there's a lot of forces to raise um, the status of women, but there's also a lot of forces try to drag them down. For every female, is Different, they need to navigate through a treacherous <laughs> society and look out for their daughters and you know, granddaughters.
0: Now, you work yes. at Berkeley, right? And it's interesting because the father in these stories is an academic, right? He's a mm-hmm. psychology professor. He wanted to go to med yes. school, I think, but then his <laughs> scores were he was kind of crushed. This is a gam scores, in my head. but it's interesting because. You think in the United States of an academic life, it's not a it's not a plush lifestyle, but it's it's upper middle class. Very right often, it's a decent, and and yet it seems like a pretty simple lifestyle. Or you know, it doesn't seem they don't seem like a family of means. Right. You know, or or, or, or like, so is is that you know is it a low, is it a sort of more modest mm-hmm. uh, p- occupation in China? Because fa- again, the family doesn't seem like they have a ton of wealth or resources. Which a professor's family would seem to have a little bit of here.
1: Yeah, back in the eighties, um, Chinese people were poor. It's not the same as it is now. There's vast uh, economic development since nineteen nineties. So they are still middle class. Uh, this is a middle class family. The reason they seem to be struggling more is because they have three children. They really take a lot out of you, even though you know back then there's no tuition. Uh, education is relatively cheap. You just have to compete with, um, other, you, you compete with your peers for the uh, good school, for other, all the resources. There's not a big financial burden, but there's still financial burden, uh, having more children. I think if they were, if they had one child and this is a pretty comfortable family, um, at the time, but because they had three children, it makes them relatively poor. And, and at the time, um, like two salary family, they usually spend all their money on food by the end of the month. Sometimes they have to borrow if the kids are growing. They eat a lot of meat, for example. So,
0: yeah, there's one. There's one part in the in the story. One of the early stories where. The father's kind of like looking like, Yeah, I guess the kids should get more meat than me <laughs> or more more of the more of the eggs than me because they're growing and he's a little resentful, but he gets it it makes sense. Yeah. He's older, right? And
1: this is a very peculiar generation. Um because they came from a big family. So they had a lot of siblings. Their parents could not give them a lot of resource. And when they also have multiple children, then you know, they're stretched very thin. Then this generation after this one, they usually have one child and their parent, they have fewer siblings. So there's just a lot more resources for the parents and for the family, for, especially for the young families. Nowadays, young people just feel they're a lot, you know, well off than the previous generation because it's more money and the parents can focus just on one child. It really takes a lot of burden out of of the of the young families so yeah they were middle class in every sense but they were just poor because they have three children you know a lot
0: of sort of western liberal democracies you know think look at countries that aren't like liberal democracies and say well if they get western access to western markets and consumer goods and the economic fruits of that that that, that democracy will come but China's—it sounds like over the past decades experienced lots of the fruits of that. And President Xi just said, "I'm president for life." Okay, <laughs> that's it. Like, here we're—I mean, so it doesn't—it seems like yes. that that China is ho beco- is becoming more autocratic, even as it's becoming more market capitalist-driven. I mean, do you, is is should we, when you look at the President Xi becoming president for life? I mean, do you think things are taking a darker turn with regard to freedom and democracy?
1: Yes. It's very disheartening that, uh, it took this term. I guess in China, there's a way of buying people off. <laughs> so they, um, they don't clamor for political freedom and people can be bought off. And look at the writers, uh, a, ma- a majority uh, number of writers, they were bought off by the state. So it, it there's a long history of, you know, the, Rulers can just find some ways to entice entice the masses to believe that they do not need democracy. They just need to be um, have money and be fed, and they come can come to another country to show off their wealth, which some Chinese people have done. It's but I still believe, underneath all that, there's still a group of people who has not lost sight of. This society could continue to move forward, so it's like two steps, three steps ahead, and you know, forward and two steps back. It's like a dance. We we can't really tell what China's gonna do, but they it is going. I have seen um, the generation after us really, you know, there's a lot of complacency there. They think. They they come they try they come to United States they try to tell us um, how naive we were <laughs> to fight for something that was not all that useful and there's there's a lot of lesson to be learned I, I think over the years and I hope people will gradually again gain the perspective and the debate goes on um, as it's not just ideological it is I think some of it has you know, to do with upbringing and history and how successfully the state, you know, in brainwashing people. But I'm very happy for a, you know, peaceful and prosperous China. I just wish, I just wish, you know, people would not lose their spirit in spite of all this prosperity.
0: When you see President Trump, like, coddling up to autocrats like President Xi and, you know, other autocratic, yeah. I mean, to that are you like pulling your hair out thinking, guys, hey, I came from one of these countries I've lived in, this is not good. I mean, it, it, yeah. it is strange. I've never seen an American <laughs> president that's so comfortable uh, rubbing shoulders with autocrats.
1: Yes. I was fascinated by um, the interview on your show about, you know, the West is learning from the East. Um, doing this same because it looks like a, a pretty easy way to rule the country and just to say um, just fo- trust me <laughs> yeah. just follow my lead and that's what China has been doing for thousands of years you know if you if you just um, brainwash the masses you just say you know just trust me I, I'm good for you <laughs> uh, it, it is very heartbreaking uh, for people like us, who came from there and uh decided to break away from that, you know we would rather to we would rather come to a country that has more material wealth and more spiritual freedom, but ultimately, I think it's all personal choices, so I'm glad that in in china they they can't have you can choose which path you take, and people have been choosing so And and the social media, which is very interesting, and you cannot really censor all the social media in China. It's entirely impossible. I guess it falls on each individual about who they want to be. But what I worry the most is about the spiritual void that appears to be in China ever since um, 1949. They wiped out um, the culture. You know, they wiped out the religion and. Because organized religion is dangerous to the state, um, to autocratic rule. Um, yeah, there's no spiritual nothing to replace that. So people are floundering, they're looking, and they try to find their ways. <laughs> and they only have limited resources.
0: Yeah, I saw a story recently where the largest mega church, the Christian megachurch, Protestant, you know, mega church in China, was just bulldozed. Mm-hmm. I mean they just went and bulldozed it.
1: <laughs> yes. A lot of it is still underground. The organized religion is still underground. It's And even the um even the feng shui, you know, all these Chinese old superstition traditions, it was just all bulldozed. <laughs> they still flourish in Taiwan and uh, in South Asia. They carry on the tradition. And so, yeah, the cultural revolution has uprooted a lot of traditions. So I think that is really dangerous because people... It's like free for all. People just grabbing. And there's a saying in China that people will not laugh at you for being a prostitute, but they will laugh at you for being poor. Um, Also, there's another saying for being a professor. Uh, A professor um, earns less money than a peddler who sells tea leaf eggs. Which you know might be true, <laughs> might be even true here uh, in the U.S. You know, a professor not doesn't earn a lot um, than entrepreneur, but the fact that people do not think the intellectual freedom has value—that is really dangerous. It just opens door to a lot of danger that we, yeah, we we don't want to go down that road. I don't think we we do, but and people seem a little bit oblivious. And people think that the the voice of mass stand for reason, which usually is not in a country when people just like you know repeat after the authorities. So it is, it is there's a lot of danger in the society. And the inequality is staggering. It's um, you know, it's not as bad as the United States but it's getting close. There's still a lot of people are very poor, but There is a rising middle class, and I hope they will get more spiritual guidance. It really will help
0: to steer China. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I know, like, the father in in the stories is a professor, and yet, you know, I think the son at one point is talking about, you know, his psychology books, and he's talking about his own sexuality Mm -hmm. and and his first adolescent love and crush, you know, and and he's like, my father didn't (laughs) let me read these books of Freud or talk about—I mean— You have the sense in which, even though the father is a a professor, that there's not a lot of intellectual, spiritual kind of conversation going on. You know, that even though, like, as you might find in in, in a different country with the family where, you know, the father was an intellectual or an academic.
1: Yes. It was almost not encouraged to have free thoughts, you know. Um, When I was a child, I was pretty much taught what to say at every social occasion. So whenever people asked me questions, I knew what they expected to hear. That made me reluctant to talk because nobody really cared about my real feelings. Um, I just rather be an honest observer than carry on empty conversation. The the social expectation of, of everyone... This just like um, public side and private side, the public side, you know, you, you just sh- show people the public side and uh, nobody cares about your private side.
0: <laughs> and this comes across a lot in your stories because, you know, when the children are struggling or something, it's almost, I mean, the concern about the public side is just as much as concerned about the children's development. Like, What will people think? What would they, you know, like, are, yeah, I mean, yes. that, th- that is really clear.
1: Yeah. So. Yes, and uh the danger in that is that people, over time, they think the public side is a private side, so they lose a the private side altogether. When I f- first came to uS, I simply did not know what to think, so was that paralyzing? You're just kind of
0: like, "What do I do here?" Like,
1: I gotta- <laughs> it was. it was. It was like in the class, when I saw people having this discussion, I was like, "What's it to discuss about? You know Shouldn't it be the right answer? It just handed to us. It took me many years. So my mind was rusty and I never had to think for myself. Of course, I had a private life and I protected it. I've always protected it, um, just because I don't want to be, um, only have one side. <laughs> but, uh, I was not able to articulate. There was a lot of things in me uh, that just never been put into words. Uh, not in Chinese, not in English. So in s- some way, writing became an outlet for, um, these stories to come out because I didn't know how those stories I had in them never been articulated and uh, I didn't know how to eat them. Then it was very funny. Um, many years later, my father came to the, you know, help him immigrate to us. And I found that he's uh, like, whatever he says, almost a lie. And Chinese people are just like visual liars. (laughs) They had to lie about the smallest thing. Um, so when people ask you, like, have you eaten? You you don't say, you don't tell the truth, have you eaten? You'll say, do I want to be invited into the house? Um, If so, I'll say, no, I haven't. But if I don't want to be invited into the house, I'll say, um, yes, I have eaten. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, it's you're like an actor, 27. And in the end, you forget how not to act. Even with your children, you know, even with your spouse. You just like an actor.
0: Is that because of the the sort of societal pressure for order? That everybody everybody's gonna play roles. So. Like so everybody so it's just kind of natural, it becomes second nature to just act.
1: Yes. It's constantly reinforced. You you're praised bec uh, if you follow the rules and come out as, you know, a creature of society. The leadership is to, is how well you play that role. It's not to stand out, to be different. It is how good you look. (laughs) Um, since kindergarten, just how good you look, how well you voice, um, say the same thing as a teacher. You say the loudest, the clearest, and if you can say even better than teacher, but if you can guess what the teacher Wants to say it before she says it, then you're definitely a leader. Nobody asks about your real thoughts. And they are just, yeah, that part of themselves is sealed off since a young age. But so, yeah, it is difficult for Chinese people to think again when they come to a different culture. And when they encourage you to think, you're like, think about what? <laughs> like, how to think? <laughs> yeah, it's a new mental exercise.
0: Well, you, it's a beautiful collection of stories because you do capture this struggle. I mean, you, you see the interior, exterior struggle in all the characters. And I think that, you know, it, it's it's portrayed very beautifully. And, and like you said in the beginning of our conversation, that, that as different a cultural context, there, the, you see the universal humanity mm-hmm. played out. And it's incredibly well written. Thanks for coming on the podcast and taking a few minutes to talk with me about it.
1: Thank you so much. It's been an honor
0: uh, a pleasure. A pleasure and honor was all mine. And thanks again. Old Faithful is my Old Faithful. It's a great collection of stories.
1: Thank you, Scott. Thank I you. love your show.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Give and Take. If you like what you heard, please do a couple things for me. They are so helpful if you do them. Share this interview on social media or via email. Or tag someone in a tweet or something and say, hey, this is great. Check it out. Spread the love and goodness if you found it here. Also, if you could go, please, 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 it takes like 60 seconds. Go to iTunes and write a review and give a a rating to the podcast. It really, really helps, especially as things are getting off the ground. And if you want to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor, you can just go right to the link on the podcast page, giveandtake.fireside.fm. You can find all the information there. Thanks to Yang for coming on the podcast. Please do check out her book, My Old Faithful. Thanks again to you for listening to Give and Take. Until next time, friends, fare thee well.